The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. I love this story. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, from rural crime to fighting fires and pipeline checks, an Edmonton based company. <clears throat> excuse me, is tackling those issues with the help of drones. Pegasus Imagery, based out of Edmonton International Airport, designs, manufactures, and deploys their drones to trouble spots. And the company is doing really, really well, is leading the way in this field. John Renu is the COO of Pegasus, and Cole Rossentretter is the CEO. Both are retired military members. They join me in studio this afternoon. John, Cole, welcome to 630 Ched. Yeah, thanks for having us, yeah, Jalen. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, well, thank Thanks so much for coming in. So <clears throat> your your service, your, your military service, um, both of you are uh, veterans, both decorated military members. Um, your military service really played a role in the development of this company. Um, Cole, do you want to maybe start with how that happened? Uh, sure. So both John and myself uh, served with Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry, uh, actually based here in uh, Edmonton. Uh, from infantry units, uh, we spent a lot of time overseas, uh, both in training and on operations. And what we found is every time we would go overseas, there would be this huge toolbox uh, waiting to help us do our job safer, more effectively. Also being in the military, uh, the military gets called out quite often for domestic uh, support. So Southern Alberta floods, uh, Fort McMurray in 2016, pretty much every year BC and Saskatchewan ask for the military assistance. And whenever the military shows up at these locations, uh, the toolbox is empty. Mm. So what we're looking for from the military, we're actually finding in a lot of cases from uh, our partners, our partner forces. So on the civilian side, when we go to these uh, wildfire and flood locations, we're actually not seeing that in the civilian sector also. So what we're doing as a company is actually bridging the gap between military and consumer grade drone technology. Interesting, John. Uh, I want to pick your brain on this uh, a little bit as well. One of the things I love about this story is that um, I know that oftentimes transitioning from the military into the civilian world can be very difficult and there's all sorts of programs. Uh, there's all sorts, well, I wouldn't say there's all sorts. There are more now than there were probably uh, 20, 30 years ago. How um, you doing this you did it on your own you said okay you know what i'm transitioning out i'm getting out of the i'm getting out of the military i'm going into the civilian world what is it that's going to be of interest to me that's a really cool thing yeah one one of the things i i did 30 years in the military and one of the things that i found most rewarding during my time is when we had the opportunity to actually go out and assist the Canadian public when they're facing disasters, so whether it's floods or uh, wildfire or ice storms, those are the most rewarding times that soldiers have when, when they look back on their career. So when, when I was looking to get out, it's that's the type of uh, business I started looking to get into. And it was emergency management was what was drawing me. And then uh, I met Cole. Cole and I actually didn't know each other. In I was going to ask you, yeah. So uh, Cole actually told me about his concept for the company and the idea to provide uh, equipment that would make it safer for emergency management uh, to make decisions for the people on the ground. So to make, make it safer for the people that are actually making it better for Canadi the Canadian public. So starting with something that wasn't there, something that you wanted to develop, and we're going to get to the drone technology coming up because this has been developed by you uh, as well for exactly the, the specifications that you need. Was it, did it seem insurmountable? I often find people who have come up with these really, really great ideas. They sit on them for ages and never get around to doing it. And that's not the case with you guys. No, and you know, it's one of these hard things 
in is entre- one, of those, one of the hardest things you can probably do is entrepreneurship. The military has actually set us up perfectly for entrepreneurship <laughs> because in the military you spend a lot of time uh, not being able to talk to your friends. You're not really sure necessarily <laughs> what the overall plan is, what the direction you're going in. You're normally always tired, so entrepreneurship is like a natural fit. So uh, going forward, it wasn't necessarily uh, hard or insurmountable. Uh, we just knew that we had to do this now, uh, what, looking at the problems that are coming up. Was there a challenge, though, as well? Because being in the military, you're told what to do. You're told what you're doing, when you're doing it, and how you're doing it. And now you're making all the decisions. So I think that's <laughs> kind of a... Yeah. That, that might be true for most of the military, but from John and I's background uh, in the infantry, a lot of it is actually bottom-up planning. We don't look at it as saying, hey, you're in charge of a battalion of 600 troops. You have the best ideas. Well, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. Uh, we, the best ideas are you know, when you have more than one person thinking of them. So that's the approach that we actually take to the company. So our team right now is actually a, com- a really nice blend of uh, both military veterans, uh, commercial aviation pilots, and uh, really talented engineers. So, John, uh, when this started to get moving, what, what had to be put in place? I, I am guessing, first off, the drone technology. Well, definitely. So as we started looking at the at the problems, we tried to figure out the solutions. We looked at our own background and we figured we know that information is the key to, to solving problems. And when we looked at the tools that we had in the military, the drones that we had access to overseas, we know that the information they provide can help us make <coughs> quick decisions that uh, improve timelines for mm. massive problems. So what is the difference between the drone that I bought for my nephew at Christmas time and the drones, for example, that were being used in Afghanistan? What, you know, yours is in the middle here, obviously. Tell us about it. Uh, sure. So when we started this, we, we did really like a first principles analysis. Like, <laughs> what is the actual problem that we need to solve to make uh, wildfires go away? so to speak. So uh, generally when things are developed, this kind of technology comes from the military or the government out of like a critical need. And then eventually goes consumer and then our commercial and then consumer. So the problem is when it's developed by government and military and used by them, it's too sensitive to commercialize. Mm. So that is why there's this huge capability gap right now between Lockheed Martin, for example, <laughs> and Best Buy. Yeah. So what we did is we looked at and said, what's the actual capability that needs to be done? Uh, so, and then we went, out, uh, we went ahead and built it commercially. So as far as that capability range goes, if the fence is the clouds, uh, so to speak, we're just underneath there. So it actually mm. allows us to be at the highest probably capability level without being pulled into that defense sector. Okay, so like my the drone that I bought, my nephew maybe flies for 30 minutes. How long does yours go for? Uh, right now, our new aircraft uh, is called the Hyperion, and it can carry 44 pounds of payload uh, for 16 hours, and we have about an operational radius of 800 kilometers. Wow. Yeah. And and how how high up can it go? So. Unlike in the military, we don't have to worry about people trying to shoot us down normally. <laughs> uh, so it really depends. Right now, the regulations are stating that you can't fly above 400 feet ab- uh, above ground level uh, in most kind of airspace. Uh, we have uh, a unique relationship with Transport Canada in the fact that we work very closely with them. Uh, we have a, a unique special flight operations certificate that allows us to fly up to 2,000 feet in military and wildfire airspace. So in those situations, we're actually able to fly uh, a little bit higher. We don't need to fly 10,000 feet, uh, but the aircraft is more than capable of flying up to 16,000. So can, uh, what kind of training goes into operating one of these drones? Uh, well, at first, <laughs> it was a lot of uh, figuring out for ourselves. So 
one of the unique things of what we're doing is there's a lot of regulations that have been that came out this year yeah uh, on the first of june those really only apply to under 25 kilograms or below 55 pounds so ironically our two prototypes this year that we built and took out into the market to go test were under 55 pounds mm. so we got treated the same as that drone from best buy what we're doing right now is we're actually working with the regulator on how do you actually define what everything else above 25 kilograms all the way to like a 737 would look like for a remotely piloted aircraft. What is the balance of of, of um, getting the information out of, of what you're doing that you're not, uh, you know, these aren't drones from Best Buy, but they're also not like spy material stuff from, from the military. Has that been difficult? Well, I, I think for the most part, people... When, they, when we tell them we use drones, they think that we're using the same thing that your nephew uses. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's trying to explain to them that the, the drone is actually more capable. And we haven't really had any pushback on, on that privacy concern side, um, mainly because of the, the markets that we're working in. So that, that portion hasn't been a, a major issue for us. All right. Uh, those markets that you're working in, you've touched on, uh, and I want to dive into it when you're talking about rural crime. We know that we have a big problem with rural crime in Alberta. Alberta. I want to talk to you. We'll take a break. I want to talk to you about that and how that could help uh, Albertans. Your your product could help Albertans. I love this wildfire um, capabilities as well. You talk about inspecting pipelines. There's lots of um, unique opportunities here. Let's get into that after this. <laughs> Uh, 247, John Renew joining me in studio along with uh, Cole Rossentretter, the COO and the CEO of Pegasus Imagery, uh, based at the Edmonton International Airport, uh, both retired uh, military, who saw a need and, um, you know, an opportunity to use drone technology in a number of situations that... Albertans, Canadians are facing and one of them, and we've talked about it so much on this show, um, is rural crime. So give us an idea, and I don't, Cole, I don't know who wants to start on this one. Um, uh, when it comes to rural crime, how could this be used? Uh, so or how is it being used? Is it yet? Uh, not yet. <laughs> okay. To the best of our knowledge. Okay. Um, so how we look at rural crime is really a problem about time and space. So, uh, the RCMP, uh, sheriffs, whatever police force that's out there working, conservation officers, for example, as well, uh, it really comes down to a, a problem of time and space. If you have really high quality uh, law enforcement like we do here in Canada, you can't mass produce them. Mm. So the issue is, what's the what's their response time from a central location? Uh, as the crow flies, so to speak, one of the things that we're looking at doing with uh, public safety is helping that call for service. So if it's a rural uh, a rural community or that, that person on their acreage in the middle of the night and they see somebody on their property, likely speaking, uh, an aircraft like ours that can fly over 100 kilometers an hour can get there much mm. faster. Now, what it does is it gives the people in public safety better options. And how we look at, at it is that there will be a bunch of second and third order effects that can come from that. Uh, if you are breaking into a property and the only way that you know if you're being caught or being chased is if you see the lights in the rear view mirror mm. as you're leaving, uh, that changes things considerably as you, right before you commit a crime, if you don't know if you're being watched. So if there's a call for service and you're breaking in and then the police have you on video from the air and you can't escape mm. it, and then they come and get you two days later when they have the right case made, we can help actually with rural crime by making those future criminals recalculate before they become a criminal. Mm. Make them pause before they go into that farm 
What kind of agreements would have to be put in place to utilize uh, your drones to, to work with uh, responders? So from our standpoint right now, um, this is a pretty natural fit for this kind of technology. Um, a lot of public safety organizations here in Canada have actually already reached out. Hmm. So we're in the discussion right now, and as a private company, we're ex and given our background from the military, we're extremely sensitive about the information collected uh, by our aircraft and our systems. We work on behalf of uh, our client. So if that's uh, public safety, they're public. So th the information we collect is actually their information, which by default is actually the public's information. Would it be uh, a one person? Like if something happened and I called you up, I, someone's on my, and I called you up, could, 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 could I hire you that way? Or would it be based on a community or a, a, a detachment where a call went into? So it's probably open for both yeah. at this point. We were actually really surprised uh, in the last four months with the, with the volume of interest that hmm. we received from individuals, private uh, corporations, all the way to communities actually reaching out and talking to us about this exact same thing. Hmm. So from our standpoint, it's not necessarily a matter of a finite resource either because the technology that we have is massively scalable. So we talked about an 800 kilometer operating radius. Yeah. We don't need to have a whole bunch of different uh, locations and, and launching locations around uh, Alberta. We can largely do that just from our current location here in northern Alberta. And you just program in an, air, an address and it goes? Uh, yeah. Very cool. Pretty, pretty yeah. close to that. Very cool. Okay, yeah, in, a, in simplified turn, that's yeah. Right. Okay, that's very cool. So when it comes to wildfire safety, I know there's been a lot of talk about uh, this drone technology when it comes to, to um, monitoring wildfires, and we've certainly seen over the past number of years in Alberta um, where that could come in, come in handy. Um, has it been used yet in that area? So yes. Um, yes and no is probably the easier way to do it. In the United States, uh, they have one thing that nobody else in the world has. They have the United States Air Force. <laughs> so in California and Oregon and Washington State, uh, for about the last four years, every time that they have these massive wildfires, they actually have a federal request for assistance that mm -hmm. goes in. And they, because these aircraft are actually based in these states and part of the Air National Guard, they get access to military aircraft to sit on top of a wildfire 24 hours a day and deliver that information in real time. So in effect, our white paper is already written. The it's just not widely distributed as far as the capability and that's what we're looking to bring here commercially so for example wildfire especially like at at, at night time you could get those drones up and up there for a long time and probably have a better idea of mapping where the lines are on the fire that sort of thing yeah. so this yeah. is this is one of these key things uh right now wildfires are normally extremely dangerous with the smoke and yeah. the heat and everything else like that almost no aircraft uh, including helicopters and a lot of fixed wing they can't fly at night and attack a wildfire or even monitor it during the night uh, satellites don't do a really good job of it because they're extremely expensive and their availability is an issue what we're talking about doing is basically starting by taking the night shift so <laughs> when you when the sun goes down the tools go down and so do all the aircraft yeah when you wake up in the morning the very first thing you have to do Jalen when you're like at high level for example yeah. and you have 2,000 firefighters out there on the ground and 400 bulldozers and 52 helicopters and you're out there for over 100 days. Every single morning you wake up and you ask, where did this fire go last night? What changed? Because mm. it's been six, eight hours since you've had a good idea on what, what's actually going on. So what we're, we're talking about is bringing that 2019 technology to largely speaking a 1940s brute force approach. And it's to take nothing away from the fact that there are people doing heroic stuff every day 
in wildfire. What's another tool in the toolbox? Exactly. exactly. Right? And that is something that goes back to why why this all started. When you were on the ground um, res- responding to an op lentis call wherever, it was, you know, I'm missing these tools in my toolbox to help. And this is really interesting. So we talked about rural crime. We talked about um, uh, wildfires. Um, before we're out of time, where else do you think you could see this technology being used? So... Uh, the other option we have is energy. So mm. the energy markets are mandated for right-of-way inspections. Currently, those are done by um, Cessnas. Um, however, what the what the aircraft are hap- what's happening in the aircraft market across the, the country is a, a massive pilot shortage. Yeah. So yeah. there's about six thousand pilots short this uh, this year, and that'll only increase. So uh, we can start working with the regu- with the energy department our companies in order to make sure that the right-of-way inspections are done and the safety is, and we make sure that safety is uh, maintained. So what's next for Pegasus? So we're in production right now for our new aircraft and we're actually going to be getting our, we call it acceptance trials. So we're in the process right now of actually going through the ground testing and everything else like that. And we'll have the new, the first few dozen uh, in 2020 up and flying. Uh, we are extremely lucky in the fact that uh, we're part of an accelerator here in Canada called mm. Creative Destruction Labs, and we just started that uh, three weeks ago down in Calgary. So it's Canada's premier accelerator, which fits nicely for us. We've met a lot of very uh, important uh, mentorship along the way, and so we're going to be leveraging that to hopefully expand what we're able to do. Well, John, Cole, uh, I, I love the idea. I think you're really, really on to something here. I look forward to seeing how this grows over the coming years, uh, where things are going to be used. And uh, if people want to find out more information, is there a place, the website? Yeah, we have a website, pegasusimagery.ca. And we're on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, and the Instagram and Facebook. As and well. the Instagram and Facebook. All right, uh, John uh, Renu and Cole Rossentretter uh, joining me this afternoon. Thanks for this, guys. Appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, you for having us.